Welcome back to the MedTech Podcast. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Claudia Pastides, the Medical Director of Flow Health. Flow is at the forefront of women's healthcare, providing trusted medical information to millions of women worldwide. With over 200 million people on their platform, they have a huge responsibility to make sure the content that they release is credible, authentic, and engaging. We explore the ins and outs of creating healthcare content and tips for medical students and doctors looking to transition into health tech. We even try and unlock the secret formula for going viral. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please just make sure you hit that follow button, leave an episode rating, and share this episode with as many people as possible. I begin the episode with providing some context around why I thought Claudia was the perfect person to bring on to have this conversation with. As always, I hope you enjoy. So, Claudia, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know I before the episode, I pestered you a little bit and sent you a couple of messages saying, yes, let's get you on the podcast. But you know what? The reason is because I read your blog posts, that, the two blog posts you um, published on Medium, and I thought they were great, honestly. A great starting point for anyone interested in firstly health tech and then also interested in building their personal brand and content creation. So I thought there's no, no other better person than yourself to get you on the podcast. Just pick your brain a bit and hopefully it is going to be valuable for the listeners. So please, Claudia, introduce yourself. Uh, thanks so much, Esther. Thank you for pestering me. I always like to be pestered, <laughs> so it's not a problem. I'm a GP by background. I trained in London, but I now live in Cyprus. My family relocated a couple of years ago and I work remotely for Flow, as you introduced it. It's a femtech app. It's uh, in part a period tracker, but also is generally a, a whole all-round women's health platform. And I am the medical director for Accuracy there, and I manage a team of four doctors. And we basically, our role and what we love doing is just making sure all the content that we produce inside the app, outside of the app, marketing, social, PR, everything is as medically accurate as possible. So pretty much everything comes through us because we are a, a health technology platform. So of course, a lot of that information needs medical review and we're very much involved in the review, but also in coming up with ideas and um, and sort of helping form the, the content and the products in the app. Sure. I think to begin with, I know this is probably it's going to be a hard question to, for you to answer, but just in general, where, where did this start from? I know you've had a bit of a zigzag career, if they call it a portfolio career as well. Mm -hmm. but how have you gotten to the point now that you're working for Flow Health? Like what, ha what happened in that process? So what happened is that my family are all doctors. And uh, to be honest, I didn't know anything else other than medicine. So I thought, okay, medicine is going to be the path that I go down, combined with the fact that I really loved biology. I really um, enjoyed working with the public, with the general public, and I loved the idea of medicine. So I thought, yep, yeah, this, is, this is it. This is what I'm going to go down. But always alongside that, I was writing. I just loved marketing. Even as a child, I would watch everything and scrutinize it and just I was just fascinated by the concept of being able to take something and promote it really well and make it really engaging so I went I went and I did uh, medical training at UCL while I was there I, I loved Obzengaini but my mum who is uh, was herself a surgeon told me I am mad to go down the Obzengaini route she told me I will never sleep another night ever again so I thought okay 
maybe I'll do general practice instead and then I'll see lots of women and lots of babies and that will be it and that that's what I'm going to do. Also, while I was training at UCL and training in general practice, as much as I enjoyed the GP role, I loved the idea of being able to step back and look at the bigger picture. And I was always very frustrated. I would see patients and they'd come in and there were all these problems that they'd have that I felt like, ah, if this had been at school as a part of education or if somewhere along the way they'd picked up this information, rather than coming to me now at the end stage of where this problem has got to and where they're really stressed about something or anxious about something, could we have caught it a bit earlier? Could we have provided some education somewhere along the way so that it didn't have to get to this point? So I went, I finished my GP training, I started working as a GP. And um, always on the side of that, I was doing a bit of marketing, a bit of writing, a bit of blogging. Social media then picked up. So this is now, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, I guess. So social media started picking up more and more. Doctors were more visible on social media. And I thought, ah, now that I've had my first child, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start going on social media and talking about marrying my experience of being a doctor and having the medical credibility together with being a new mum and seeing like, how can I put those two together and promote health in this population? So I was doing that just on the side for a bit of fun, carried on with my GP and then was approached by Babylon via LinkedIn, by a recruiter, by Babylon Health. And they were looking for a doctor who liked writing and who enjoyed marketing, which I didn't even think a job like that would ever exist. Like where, where? Where did that even come from? It was amazing. So to have that land, you know, almost in my lap on LinkedIn, I jumped at the opportunity and it was freelance. So I carried on being a GP and I was doing this on the on the side. But instead of doing it because it was just fun and I enjoyed it, I was actually being paid for it. So that was awesome. So I thought, great, I'm getting to do a bit of health promotion, a bit of social media, and I'm being paid for it. Marvelous. The more I did of that, the more I realized that's what I loved and that's where I wanted to be. And the GP work went down and down and the Babylon work went up and up. Uh, Then my family decided to relocate to Cyprus. And again, at that point in time, I was approached by Flo, again on LinkedIn, uh, recruiting, looking for a medical advisor. And this again was awesome because it's Obs and Gynae, which I always loved. It was in a medical advisory role for an app that I knew had this huge global reach. So I thought, what better public health, health promotion position is there that combines social media and um, engagement and, you know, just like the, the fun side of healthcare together with that reach and that opportunity to educate. So uh, I jumped on that the second that came and it worked out really well for Cyprus because it turned out by chance they have an office here as well, which that was a crazy um, coincidence. And I've been here at Flow now for two years. So I started out as a medical advisor and then I was promoted to medical director a few months ago and now manage the team, like I said. Yeah, congrats, that's amazing. And I think firstly, I guess the moral of that story is make sure your LinkedIn's up to scratch for anyone to stay out there. Because you clearly you clearly must have had (laughs) you clearly must have had like some secret formula, secret recipe to make your LinkedIn LinkedIn stand out for but firstly Babylon and then Flo to reach out to you. So yeah, congrats and you're definitely smashing it. I know Flo is just in general smashing with their with their social media presence, specifically targeting that younger demographic now, which is consuming short form content, which is which is really great and definitely something I want to talk about 
in this episode but i think to begin with you mentioned the time that you'd always you'd, you'd always love marketing you always loved writing blogs but this was at a time when it wasn't trendy this was 13 14 mm -hmm. years ago as you said where not many people were doing it and so it was almost out of the ordinary to start posting these blogs on your own personal experience as a doctor for other people to read so what was the drive in doing that why did you do that honestly partly i i just really enjoyed creating content and it gave me an opportunity to create so even so in part i think it was the medical goal of i really love the idea of whatever i do being helpful to others so yes there was that side too but obviously but also there was a huge part of it that was just this desire to be creating something and what i found when i was in medicine and in training and as a gp i've i'd never felt that opportunity to create very much i always felt like that's something that was lacking so the fact that i could create and experiment and set up a website and try out different words and try out different pictures and different styles and just throw it out there and see what happens and learn a new skill that that's what appealed to me i never at any point thought oh you know i want to be some kind of influencer or i want my end goal is xyz it was literally just i really like this it ticks the boxes of that creative stuff that i feel i haven't been able to do so let's just try it let's just go with it because it feels nice yeah. it feels good and i'm enjoying it and the feedback is positive yeah. so just yeah keep going yeah i have a question actually so have you always been creative because since starting this podcast um a lot of people have asked me i didn't know you had this in you um i didn't know that you were able to produce content like this create these short form clips and edit them um speak to a camera confidently and they said where did this come from all of a sudden i said i've always been creative it's just i had nothing to channel it into and so it's interesting have you always been a creative you just kind of found your niche now i think so i think so i was talking to somebody on linkedin yesterday who was saying um how bizarre it is people that do something very arty and also something very mathematical and sciency and i was thinking you know actually at school i remember being very very drawn to the arty to the creative subjects really enjoying uh, writing really enjoying painting and pottery and all that stuff that we did at school and then when it got to a levels and i was told well if you want to go do medicine you need to do maths biology chemistry physics and i literally was like no 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 i need to do art i i need to do art like i cannot not i can't i can't drop it and and i was told you know this might really impact your chances of getting into medical school because you're going to be up against people who have a full science lineup of a levels and and maths but i i genuinely could not see myself and i think this has always been the case i could not see myself being all in to one very heavy science kind of stream have to do something else too. So I carried on the art anyway and actually worked out to be the best thing that I did because I still have memories of being incredibly stressed studying for A levels but then being able to have just this period of time away from the books painting and the painting was while I was submitting for an exam and it was so nice to have that so to yes have your head in the books and concentrate really hard and then just step away still be working towards your a levels but be doing something really creative and it really helped me relax you know on one side and then balance on the other uh so yeah for for me yeah. i think i i always have been and it worked to my favor because when i went to my medical school interview the guy that 
uh, one of the the guys on the panel spent, I swear, half of the interview talking about art and how uh, medicine is an art and how you have to be creative and, you know, all of these kinds of things. And what I was told, yeah. what I was warned against doing, actually, I think, worked in my benefit. And definitely now, years down the line, that's still there. There's always this creative thread all the way through that's stuck with me. And, yeah, I think it's really nice to be able to have both skills and to use both of them. Ha having done some reflection on what my creative outlet used to be before starting the project, is I was very musical. I used to play the drums and I was in multiple different mm -hmm. orchestras, bands, um, jazz bands. And I loved it. I was quite accomplished, was performing in front of thousands of people. But since getting to university, I didn't find the time because I didn't have a drum kit at university as well. That was a big thing for me. And so I almost lost that creative <laughs> outlet. <laughs> and it's sad. And then so and so and so I'm happy now that through this podcast I'm now able to channel that creative energy into something different. But what I have noticed is mentally as well, I'm a lot more happier. So Having found yeah. your niche in something that you can channel your energy into, how did that affect your mental well-being from being a GP and working oh. probably like stupid hours, all, all the hours under the sun to now? How, how would you compare your mental health? Oh, the, the biggest difference, the biggest difference for me has been that I was talking to somebody recently and saying how I sleep. I actually sleep. And it sounds really crazy because people are saying to you, what do yeah. you mean you sleep? Were you not sleeping before? Not really, not properly. Because honestly, <laughs> I would be thinking and worrying about my patients. I would wake up thinking about my patients and the workload the next day. I would wake up in the night at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. thinking, oh, God, that, that lump. Could that lump have been something else? Or, oh, my goodness, you know, that, that headache. Could it have been something else? That fever in that child. So that is gone doesn't exist. Yes, of course, working in health tech and producing content and being responsible for the accuracy of content that is seen by millions, like you press send and millions of people see it in one go. Yes, there's still risk there and you still have that anxiety. And that's really important because if you didn't have that, you would be, I think, very careless, like we would be careless in the role. So I think it's important that there is that there, but I'm sleeping. You know, it's a very different, it, yeah. it's a whole different ball game when it comes to your mental health. And I'm amazed. I, I honestly, I'm amazed at people who practice clinically and can keep going like this. And, and I look at my husband because my husband's a surgeon. He sleeps like a baby. He, he sleeps like a baby. And I don't know, his, work, his, his brain works differently, obviously. For him, it suits. Yeah. He's a surgeon. Yeah. He just gets on with it. He sleeps like a baby. But for me... Maybe I don't know whether it just never suited me and I only discovered this later or whether this was meant to be my path. I had to learn and go through all of that to now apply the creative to it and then, you know, forge something new. I, I don't know. But yeah, definitely mental health wise, much better. Yeah. Much better. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about what a medical director at Flow Health does now. So tell me a bit about your average day. I know probably you don't have a normal average day, but tell me a little bit about what the role entails. Yep. So for me, generally, uh, I start quite early in the mornings. I take the kids to school and I log in straight after and Cyprus and Cyprus school starts super early. The first thing tends to be emails because we work a lot with the U.S., and I think you'll find this a lot when it comes to tech and when it comes to health tech, because it's it's an international thing. We have quite a lot of users in the U.S., so we also have colleagues, medical experts that we work with doctors in the U.S. So the morning is spent picking up everything that's come in overnight while I've been sleeping, 
that the US side of the business have been creating and have been sending back and reviewing. So the morning tends to be dedicated to the US. Then we tend to have a stand-up, which again, if you work in tech, that sounds really familiar. It's kind of like, sort of like a ward round, I suppose. So you do your ward round <laughs> where it's the medical content team. We sit together, we go through a board of priorities. We talk about, are there any things that are blocking us progressing with these particular tasks, any problems that we want to discuss, um, putting our brains together is really important because the thing about, the thing I always find about health tech is that you're not following a well-trodden path. You know, you're, you're not following stuff that's been done before time and time again. You're often innovating a lot of the stuff that you do. You need to rely on each other and you need to be able to bounce off each other and share ideas and to sense check with each other. So we do yeah. that as well in the mornings. And then it depends. So my role at the moment being more managerial, I tend to just troubleshoot stuff, try to work out where there's some more efficiencies that can be made in the review process or in the accuracy of the work that we're doing. I also cover a lot of our PR stuff. So there tend to be some fun PR requests nice. for the day, which are awesome, like um, yeah. Chris Jenner yeah. and squirting, Christina Aguilera swallowing sperm, all this kind of like, you know, fun PR stuff. <laughs> so yeah. That tends to form part of my yeah. day, which is great fun and an amazing opportunity for education in a timely manner. Like, it, that, that is really, really fun and something I, I get um, a real kick out of. Yeah, that's pretty much the majority of the day in this current role. So tell me a little bit about Flow Health's vision and why they, they branched out into creating content. Why content? Well, I guess because they predominantly started out as a period tracking app. And that's all well and good. You, you can track your period and it will tell you, okay, your period is most likely to come this day. But that is a tiny portion of what women's health and menstrual health comprises of, you know? So I think it seemed like the logical thing to provide content to support the period tracking function of the app. Like, what does it mean when this time your period's a bit too long, this time it's a bit too short, this time it's more heavy, this time it's lighter. And it just kind of went on and on and expanded from there. Then a trying to conceive branch was created to help people learn how to try to conceive. Then there was the pregnancy branch that was created. So then once you have tried, once you have conceived, you can follow the growth of your baby as you go along. It's very complementary. Like I, I always think it's really interesting when people think of separating content from an app, but you cannot have a health app or any app, I don't think, without content. You know, you need to be able to put that yeah. information. You're, you're logging. Okay, great. But what does that mean? So you need to be able to explain that. And that's where the content comes in. It ties in, yeah, the functionality of the app, but then with something useful, like some useful content that you can then either action, uh, you can learn something from. So I, I think you can't have one without the other is my belief. And I think any yeah. medical advisor that works in health tech that thinks they're not doing content is is lying to themselves. I really do think that we are all doing we are all doing content when we work in health tech, especially when we work for these kind of user facing platforms. We're always thinking, how will the person sure. interpret this? Uh, where's the risk here? Are we covering everything that we need to and balancing that risk and making sure it's accurate? Yeah, and I think as clinicians, as doctors 
traditionally it's a bit it's been a bit weird for doctors to start producing content whether it is short form tiktoks youtubes even blogs as well but obviously now times are changing and a lot of more people are doing it and so i think the listeners specifically the ones who are interested in creating content will be interested in hearing from your perspective what is the streamlined flow of having an idea in terms of let's say you wanted to create a video on let's say the menstrual cycle what is the flow of then having that idea and then the different checks you have to go through in Flow Health to then recording that and then publishing that? Yeah. Are you ready? Because it's extensive. So very <laughs> often, I think, when something looks easy and, go and good, it's because there's a lot of work going on in the background. And I learned so much at Flow. It's been like the most amazing experience to see how to produce really good quality medical content. And first of all, it doesn't start with doctors. It does not start with doctors. And I think that that's actually quite important and really valuable that it's a team effort. Like the same way in hospital, it's a multidisciplinary team and you need to look at it from lots of different angles to get it right. Exactly the same in health tech and in content production. We have a team of people and we are one small part of this team that comes up with the ideas. And they say, okay, we, ha we have this brainstorming session and we think we want to talk about this particular topic because of research. So everything is research led. We research our users very often. We survey our users very often. So that, first of all, it helps us guide and not just our users. What are the Google trends? What's trending in the press right now? What's on TV right now? So we amass all of this data put it all together, have a big brainstorming meeting around it, and then decide, okay, this is what the topic. And then from that topic, this is some ways that we're going to approach it. And then eventually we decide, okay, we're going to go with video in this case. Then what happens is very yeah. often our content editors together, sometimes with writers will put together a script Medics are often involved at some point in that journey where sometimes we need to be consulted early on just to get the angle right. I always give the same example about bloating because bloating, if you were to Google bloating, menstrual bloating, premenstrual bloating, you'd see a lot of stuff about water retention. But actually, if you look up the science and the evidence around water retention and bloating, it's really, really slim. And actually, there's more evidence that the bloating is because the, of your progesterone levels, your bowel perhaps being more sluggish, you're more constipated. So it's actually a very separate reason. So if, if people just got on with it and created the script for this video, they might have gone down the water retention route and then we'd come in at the end to check it and go, oh, no, <laughs> start again. So very often we will be involved earlier on and we will say, okay, let's approach it from this angle. And that sets the process off to make sure that it's medically as accurate as possible from the beginning. Um, content editors and writers will do this script. We've got designers who can, who also work together in that team who come up with the ideas of how creatively can we do this? Here are some nice examples. Here's what's trending. Let's try this. Um, then once a brief is done and the initial ideas are there just sketched out, there's a medical review. Then it's created, then it comes back for a medical review, and then it goes for another medical review. So we also have medical board experts, and these are practicing. I know, this is what I'm telling you, it's not short. But we have practicing clinicians, and this is really important. We're very aware of our limitations. So yes, I was a GP, but I stopped practicing clinically two or three years ago. So 
the best thing we always think to do is, yeah, we're there, we know we've got the knowledge and we can help and we've got the more creative sort of side, blah, blah, blah. we've got it to this point, but still it needs a review by somebody who's clinically practicing, 100% up to date, on the ground with the patients, and then we bounce this idea off them as well and we ask them for a final review. Based on their feedback, we make some final tweaks. The other important thing is the final tweaks and decisions come from us, actually, which is really interesting. So it's not that the medical board experts say is 100% always final. There needs to be a balance. It needs to be, okay, this is in flow and our users' best interests, and it's as medically credible as possible. And so that's always tricky, making sure that we balance that right. Uh, and then that's it. It's launched, and then it's tested. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You wouldn't think of it looking at just, the, the, let's say, going on TikTok and then typing in Flow Tracker and just looking at the videos. You wouldn't think that that much effort and that much um, work is going on behind the scenes to create just one video. Yeah. And it's interesting as someone yeah. who is starting to delve into creating content now, specifically around healthcare and health tech, I myself have realized there's a lot of responsibility. Even when a video, let's say, gets a thousand views, those are... A let's say potentially a thousand different people who can make their own assumption of what you're saying and, and and can take things out of context will home in on one piece of advice you give them without listening to the rest of the video and so yeah. it's, it's a slippery slope and you have to be very careful in creating content and in what you say and so i'm not surprised at all that an organization as big as flow has all these different steps to make sure that the, the content is credible because the potential imp implications if the content is not accurate is huge, right? So what advice would you give yeah. to someone who is creating content but doesn't have the backing of an organization like Flow but is actually interested in producing healthcare content? Let's say they're a medical student. Yeah, well, I think first thing you've got to do is you've just got to dive in always with these things. You've just got to give it a go and see how you feel because I've got to say that the amount of times that I've created content and I built up a following, let's say on Twitter, on Instagram, on all these platforms, and then I realized, ah, this doesn't feel comfortable and then pulled it all back. And that's happened actually to me a few times. So I think sometimes you need to give it a go, try it and see how it feels for you because... If it feels really unsafe to you, you don't feel like you're qualified enough to be giving this information, um, you, you will feel it. And at that point, you need to think, okay, right. So first of all, though, try it and see how you feel. You might really enjoy it and it might be okay. The other thing I would say is building up some kind of peer review system, I think is really important. So at Flow, yes, we've got peer review system. We're fortunate to have that and a, a, like a very strong or a robust one. But we also are always listening to feedback from our users, all feedback, I kid you not. And, and imagine, we've got millions and millions of users, so imagine how much feedback you get. But we read it, especially our medical feedback, we read that as well, and we reply to that. Actually, the doctors reply to medical feedback, and we, it's really important we do that because we take all of that on board, and we make sure that we find out as early as possible if something is being misinterpreted or is triggering people or is upsetting them. So in the context of a medical student yeah. going and creating, pay attention to the feedback from people that are reading it because if it's triggering people, they will tell you. People don't aren't shy online. They will very often tell you what they think. But try and put some kind of peer review, whether it's a colleague, a friend. Um, I set up actually on LinkedIn 
a medics in content group. So there, for example, you could just join that and just post your ideas in there and just get a sense check from other doctors that are in content. What do they think about it? And, you know, and, and people are often very happy to help each other out and, and peer review. But yeah, I think that's really important. Be aware of your limitations, see how you feel, give it a go, and then make sure you're either paying attention to your audience and or getting some peer feedback as well on what you're doing yeah. so that you feel safer. But you'll, you'll find your way slowly, slowly. Yeah. yeah, definitely great advice there. Just having your own little, yeah, I mean, not going to be a, as extensive as the, the peer review process that no. get, um has. But <laughs> of course, just your own little peer review process is definitely something to consider if you are producing health content. I mean, the content that I produce isn't specifically healthcare related, but still very much health tech related. And I still do wonder sometimes, I want to make sure that obviously, when you're producing content to platforms like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, the whole point of the platform is you want to try and hack the algorithm to make sure you get as many views as possible. And part of that is producing sensationalized content where in the first three seconds you say something really catchy. Mm. And so mm -hmm. it's that balance of making sure that in the, of, of not being a bit too sensationalized and you still understanding that you have yeah. a responsibility as whether a med student or a clinician yeah. of striking that balance that there are people out there who will yeah. literally take who will take your advice literally right and so yeah it's really interesting discussion yeah. and i had a conversation with uh Vishal Varan, dr vishal varani head of youtube health about yeah. ways that youtube health specifically is combat is combating that because it seems like on TikTok now, a lot of people, they just put doctor in front of their name and they're giving out medical advice without actually there being any verification that they are a doctor. So it is definitely essential if there are any listeners out there to make sure that you are doing your own due diligence and not just putting content out there for the sake of it, just to get a couple of views. But yeah, from your experience, considering you've pretty much broken down all the different stages in producing content, what is there a, a clear formula on how to go viral? you've done all your metrics in terms of looking up what keywords are being looked up, what the audience wants, but then also breaking down the design, etc. So if you could maybe give a couple of pointers, tips, I know it's, there's no clear formula, but what advice would you give anyone looking to get big in the content game? Yeah, I, you know what I wish I could give you? I wish I could give you a formula. I wish I could even give you an answer. The answer actually, from my experience, is it's the teamwork aspect. That, that creates it at flow. There's no one person who says, yep, my impact here is the viral impact. We had one video, for example, that did really well, which was around female, female ejaculation and squirting. And it did incredibly well. It did incredibly because it was a perfect marriage of the doctor who videoed it had a little pot with, I don't know how, what she made in there, but she made something that looked really realistic and that worked really well. Yeah. combined together with like the perfect amount of short form but sufficient content put together with say the copy underneath that was a really good explainer the right hashtags so it, it was a combination it was a combination team effort and I don't I personally myself have never created something viral by myself so I would never be able to say, yeah, this is, this is my formula. This is how I do it. Like everything that we've done at Flow has always been a bunch of really great creative people all pulling their part. And when all those work really, really well, and it's timely as well, that's when things have, have gone viral. Tell me a little bit about Flow's vision now going forward, because they, they've already established their, their channels for mass 
educating specifically a female audience and this is a topic that wasn't traditionally spoken about has always been a bit taboo and so the fact that flow is normalizing it is great for the younger generation as well we're trying to make sure that we're keeping up with the trends we're producing content in really fun engaging ways that we are catering to as much of the female population as possible and that's something we're working really hard on at the moment so now we need to have a look and see okay now what where else in the female health journey are there gaps that we really need to fill to try and improve and make it really good from first period all the way to end period god knows even if beyond we cover women's health as much as possible we recently did a survey we did a couple of surveys one in the uk and one in the us looking at the state of health misinformation that's out there. So out there on social media, on websites. And we found that there's still a lot of myths doing the rounds, a lot of taboos when it comes to sexual health and menstrual health. And so it's very obvious to us that as much as we in our echo chamber at Flow think everybody talks about masturbation and squirting, the reality is no, it's not at all like this. People don't feel comfortable. They don't even know what a heavy period is, what a normal regular menstrual cycle is. So we would love to bust all these myths as much as possible and put as much good quality medical information out there in an engaging way to fill this gap. Where there is this misinformation, we want to try and make it as accurate as possible so people aren't turning so much to social media, or if they do, they know where to go to fact check, to sense check, actually medically what is okay what is accurate yeah no it, i think that's an amazing vision you guys at flow are doing and are executing and so i'm curious you just mentioned the uk and us there is this um something that you're looking to scale globally to other developing countries as well where these topics are a lot more taboo and a lot less talked about yeah definitely and actually we've been doing a lot of work with translating our content because our content has been primarily English and it takes such a long time to translate content and to translate it into other languages. We, we have this pro-social campaign as well where we offer actually access to flow for free to certain countries where we know that it will be really beneficial for people to have access to this health information. And I think there it is in English and in French as well, in certain parts of Africa, for example. So yes, this is also part of the plan and it's a humongous project translating. We have so many yeah, thousands of content, uh, thousands of pieces of content. So imagine, and actually articles are just the beginning. It's actually quite simple to go through articles and translate them, but all the stories we have, all the widgets, all you know, the videos, everything else. So yeah, it's that also is a really big project, but we have a whole team that is head straight in there into working out how we can best translate all of this content um, so that is as accessible as possible and not just yeah, not just British English and US English. Well, that's really great. And so it will be exciting going forward, the fact that young women who live in these developing countries will start being able to be educated on topics that really, they should be normalized, but because of cultural reasons, religious reasons, so on, political reasons, mm -hmm. they aren't. So definitely empowering women. And so tell me a little bit about now, I mean, you're, you're super accomplished going from GP to then 
Babylon and now Flow. Tell me a little about a bit about advice that you would give for physicians considering to transition and move into health tech. I literally finished medical schools, starting my GP training, and I got to a point where I became a GP where I was like, oh God, I just, is there anything else? Can I do anything else? And I was Googling, what can you do with a medical degree? What can you do <laughs> with this? And all I got was uh, pharma. I think that was about it at the time. I think that's all that Google was telling us. But now, you know what, in the last 12, 15 years, because of health tech, things have opened up so much. There are so many more opportunities for for doctors. And I, I think this is really fortunate. So I think definitely if you're somebody who's quite creative and you'd love to try something else, obviously I'm biased, but I think tech is a great avenue, like a really great avenue to go down. How do you go about it? Well, it's LinkedIn. Make sure you've got a good LinkedIn profile, that it's really clear what you love and what you enjoy doing and be as authentic as possible. I think it's so important that you literally just, if you're comfortable, just putting yourself out there, what you like and engaging with the people that you like and being a part of the conversation, joining the LinkedIn groups, attending the meetups with other people in health tech and just bouncing ideas off each other. That I think at the moment anyway, is a great way to get in. Sure, really great advice. And I think one main one I found having started my health tech journey is actually just what I love about the podcast is just networking, like just keep on going, keep networking, reach out to people. So many people are willing to help. You just need to have an angle. So message them, don't just message them and say hi, but message them with an angle. <laughs> And I've always found that, that, that that's a good way to get a response and get some good advice back and then also get your foot in the door and uh, have a conversation from yeah. there. Make sure you have a thick skin because yeah. honestly, I remember when I used to reach out to people and I'd say, oh, can we have a meeting? And they would say, oh, I can't, maybe in three weeks. And I was like, what do you mean in three weeks? What, why not tonight at 8 p.m.? What? Why not yeah. on Saturday morning? You know, I was that person. I was that person. And now I'm not that person. I'm yeah. the person with the kids and with the full-time job and with everything else. And make sure you, you have that thick skin that if people don't reply straight away, don't be upset by it, you know, because there's other stuff yeah. going on or they're very busy. So um, yeah. persevere like you did in your case. It pays off, yeah, yeah. but yeah, don't let it um, get you down. Build up, build up a good thick skin because if you keep persevering, things will, yeah, yeah. things will work out your way, and opportunities will come. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I first messaged you, when I uh, when you said that you obviously had to check with the team, part of me was like the, the my inner voice, my inner dialogue was like, does she just not want to come on? And she's trying to swerve me. But yeah, just <laughs> making sure you're thick skinned, making sure that you know what, just just follow up with people, like you you. Yeah, and just don't worry if someone just ignores you as well. That's a big thing as well. Like people are busy, don't take it personally. That's a, some good advice that I would say as well. And so in terms of building personal brands, tell me a little bit about that just before we close up. If you want to step out of traditional medicine, if you want to try something else, or if you just really get a kick out of being creative or networking, I think personal branding is really important. And really what that means in medicine, I would say, is just having a profile as strong as you can make it on the platforms that are of interest to you. If your interest is on Instagram and that's where you're happy and that's where you love it, on Instagram, have a good personal brand for your pro and, and make a really nice profile that explains who you are and what, and what you enjoy doing. 
If it's on LinkedIn, that's absolutely fine. If it's wherever else. So I always think it's really important not to force stuff because it's actually so time consuming. It's so time consuming. Anybody who has an Instagram account uh, and is trying to grow it knows how time consuming it is. So you need to be loving it as well, not just doing it because you feel you have to. And often you can sense the people who are loving it and being really authentic are the people who you want to follow and you want to engage with and, you, you know, you want to keep yeah. an eye and see what they're doing. So it's really important. I think, you know, when we're talking about how to make stuff viral, I think being really authentic is a big part of that and being true to yourself, discovering what you love, what you're comfortable talking about and doing and uh who you're happy to interact with and just just go for it, you know, unapologetically. And that, I think, is the main thing when it comes to personal branding. Yeah, really great advice there. So, Claudia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a, my pleasure having you as well. So just to close up, a quick two-liner for any anyone out there who is looking at the fact that their next five to ten years of their life is looking a bit dull as a GP or a doctor, and is looking to take that step into health tech or content creation to get them motivated to kickstart their journey. Yeah, well, first of all, my kids have come home and I apologize if you can hear all the noise in the background. I can hear it a little bit, but you know what, it's fine. I live with five yeah. other noisy housemates. Okay. So sometimes I'm like, okay, fine. Them, so you're good. keep it quiet. No, okay. it's fine. At least the dog hasn't kicked <laughs> off. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how to inspire. You know what I think is the most inspiring thing I could probably say is if you want to make a change, if you want to branch out and do something different, you absolutely can do it. Absolutely can do it. And I can tell you from experience now, because I've been lucky enough actually to mentor a few people over the last few years that have come to me and have said, you know, I'm trying to develop this. I want to grow here. I want to branch out of general practice. And I've, I've it's been so nice seeing their journeys from uh, you know, not knowing what they want to do, discovering what they like, trying to find that thing and not really managing and then finishing up and finding that thing that they really love and that they enjoy and finding that job and getting out of whatever role it was they were in and moving into something where they're growing and they're happy and it's what they wished for. So yes, it's a journey, start it. Uh, and if there's something you really, really want to do and you really love and you're passionate about, absolutely, if you keep going and pursuing, you you will get there because everybody that I've seen so far has managed and is much happier at the result of it. Yeah. So, yeah, take that first step. Yeah, fantastic advice there. So, Claudia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we should definitely stay in touch. <laughs>